Welcome to the Climate Finance Podcast. My name is Jonas, and this podcast aims to mainstream climate finance by interviewing high-level investors, researchers, and policymakers who have made significant contributions to the climate finance space. Please note that this podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be considered as investment advice. Enjoy the episode. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. Welcome back to the Climate Finance Podcast. Today's guest is Alex Wright Gladstein. Alex is the CEO and founder of Sphere. Sphere is a public benefit corporation that is amplifying a social movement to get 401k retirement savings money out of fossil fuel companies. So, Alex, welcome to the Climate Finance Podcast. How's it going in California? Thank you so much for having me. It's going well here in California. A little bit chilly, but beautiful. How about you? Good, good. And uh, Happy New Year. And uh, thank you for being the first uh, podcast episode for 2022. So before the interview, I read a lot about your very interesting uh, professional background, and you've made a lot of career switches throughout your journey. From what I read is that you studied economics and political science at Tufts. Uh, Then you worked with NLX uh, North America for five years, and then you went to MIT and did an MBA, and then you co-founded IR Labs. So could you tell us more about your journey and then how did you end up transitioning to founding Sphere? So I have been passionate about preventing climate change since way back. So when I was 12 years old, I had a science teacher that got me inspired about environmentalism. And since then, I haven't been able to stop caring about it. When I was in college at Tufts, yes, I studied economics and political science, but I also, during my time outside of classes, spent as much time as I could learning about the energy industry and climate change. And I, I founded the Energy Club there and an annual energy conference. And it was an opportunity to learn a lot from guest speakers and, and research that we did around the world. And Then I was trying to figure out throughout what type of career I wanted to have, where I could have an impact on climate. And I ended up deciding that I wanted to help get technologies out of labs and into the world because it seemed that there were a lot of amazing technologies being invented that could have a big impact on climate change. Uh, But sometimes you read about them and then you never end up being able to get your hands on them in the real world as a consumer. And I thought if I could help bridge that gap in getting technologies out of the lab and into the world, that could be worthwhile. I realized if I wanted to be the business co-founder of a technology startup, I should have some business experience. So that's why I went to NLX, which at the time it was a company called Enernoc that uh, was one of the earlier clean tech companies in the early 2000s. I, yeah, I was there for five years. Uh, I learned a lot about the energy industry. And then I went to MIT for an MBA really so that I could meet people across campus who are inventing technologies that could have an impact on climate. I met the co-founders of my first company, IR Labs, while I was there. And they had invented the first ever processor to communicate using light. And so we, we spun out that technology. It was an amazing breakthrough and started IR Labs, which makes data centers and supercomputers much more energy efficient by using light to move data between ships. It was while running IR Labs that I came across the issue that we're now solving with Spear. We started offering a 401k plan to our employees, which is a retirement saving plan that many employers offer to employees in the U.S. Uh, It's kind of the primary way of saving for retirement here in the U.S. And so we started offering that 
in 2017 to our employees. And at the time, I asked our providers to include an option that was not invested in fossil fuel companies because I knew a lot of our employees cared about that. And I thought it was a simple request at the time, but it ended up taking a long time, over three years, to get a single fossil-free option offered in our plan to employees. And I was just shocked at how long it took and how hard it was. And so I started diving into trying to figure out why that was and talking to as many people as I could in the 401k industry to understand what the dynamics were that were making it so hard for me as CEO of a company to offer what I thought was a simple thing, a fossil-free investment option for employees. So that's what led me to Sphere. Uh, Thank you for the great introduction, Alex. As you mentioned that uh, 401ks are more of an American concept, but they have different names in different countries. Uh, For example, uh, in Australia, they call it the superannuation system. Uh, but in America in particular, 32% of uh, the American workforce are dependent on 401ks, and 79% of American employees have access to a 401k option. Uh, but there is a disparity here where only 0.1% of 401k assets are actually invested sustainably, and only 3% of 401k plans actually offer like a sustainable option, like an ESG option. Before we dive in, into this, you, you mentioned the word uh, fossil fuel free. and why not ESG? Why fossil fuel free? You're right. I, I used that term intentionally. Uh, and there are a few reasons for that. First is that ESG is a very financy term. You know, when I asked our 401k providers for a fossil free fund, their response would typically be, oh, you mean an ESG option. And, and for those listening who don't know, uh, though probably with your audience listening to climate finance podcast, they will know what ESG means, but it, it stands for environmental social and governance funds. And it's not exactly the same as being a climate change focused fund or a fossil free fund. There's the social and governance aspect in there as well. And there are a lot of different ways of interpreting what ESG means. And different financial managers tend to have different approaches to interpreting ESG. And all that aside, the reason that I don't like the term too much is that People who are not in the finance industry usually have no idea what ESG means. So, you know, they'll say, I want to be able to invest with my values or I want to be able to invest in a way that doesn't uh, make climate change worse. And then the finance industry responds with, oh, okay, here are our ESG offerings. And what I found is those two things don't actually match up oftentimes. They mean different things. And there's a lot of misunderstanding that can happen in that exchange because of the language not really working for for clients. It's a case of people talking past each other and not even realizing that it's happening a lot of the time until later on when regular people who are are not in the finance industry and think that they are now investing in a climate-focused fund then might look into it a little bit more and realize, oh, wait a second, why am I still invested in ExxonMobil and Chevron and these fossil fuel companies? I thought I was asking for the environmental fund, what's going on here? So um, I realized that pretty early on when I was looking for a fossil-free fund for IR Labs. And I I just realized a lot of the options that were being offered to me to add to our lineup in our 401k were not fossil-free. They were still invested in fossil fuel companies. And maybe they were focused on companies that had more social equity or, you know, had a different interpretation of ESG than mine, which was, you know, I have one issue I care most about. It's climate change. Uh, our company is is working to, to fight climate change by making data centers and supercomputers more efficient. Let's 
add a fund that specifically is focused on that and isn't more broadly uh, defining ESG. Whilst uh, preparing for this interview, I went through your website and I saw that there were some very interesting statistics. For example, 82% of Americans are worried about climate change and 99% of their retirement savings are invested in fossil fuel companies, approximately $6,000 per capita. And 70% are not happy with that, but 81% have no idea that's actually happening. And going back to ESG, ESG now represents about 33% of assets under management that is uh, professionally managed, but still it's not highly integrated into uh, 401ks. And there seem to be a lot of different issues. Uh, Some of them are regulatory. uh, Some of them are regarding, let's say, internal uh, corporate or employee culture that prevent or that uh, act as impediments towards the integration of uh, socially responsible or sustainable investing in uh, 401ks. Could you delve more into that, please? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, it's that's right. The statistics are pretty crazy in terms of, you know, how many people are worried about climate change. It's it's a vast majority of Americans these days. I think a lot of people don't realize that. They still think there are a lot of climate change deniers out there, but really that that's changed very quickly in the past 5 years where we've gone from under 50% of Americans being worried to now over 80% being worried about climate change, but still we have this legacy where most are invested in fossil fuel companies, you know, 99%. So that's pretty staggering. And, you know, it's a really good point. You mentioned that 33% of the total assets under management of professionally managed funds are in ESG products. So why is there that huge disconnect between professionally managed investments versus 401ks in particular, where there's almost no investment in ESG. And that was something that I, I really dove into a lot. That's that's exactly what I was trying to figure out when I was trying to get this option added to the IR Labs 401k plan. And it turns out that, yes, there, there are some regulatory issues and then just kind of some structural issues that have made it really hard. One of the key ones is that ESG or you know sustainably green marketed funds tend to be premium products. So they're really designed for the wealthier investor, not for the regular investor who might only invest via the 401k and have no other types of investments. So, you know, I think the overarching problem when it comes to 401ks is that the financial industry just hasn't been focusing on the 401k market when it comes to these ESG products. They think of ESG as a premium product. So we're going to market it to the wealthier individuals or institutions who have more money to invest rather than the, the smaller investors that invest via 401ks. But to be more specific as to what's really, you know, the nuts and bolts of what's kept uh, these sustainable options out of 401ks, there are three key reasons that it's been hard to put sustainable options in there. There's a fear of lawsuits. There's just this kind of strange structural reason of most sustainable funds that are available are ETFs, not mutual funds. And and that's an issue that I'll go into. And then there's also some mixed policy guidance that's been coming out of the US government's Department of Labor over time that's also put a damper on things. So I'll dive into each of those three reasons. First, the fear of lawsuits, which I think is the most powerful reason that it's hard to get sustainable options in 401ks. Employers are responsible for what options are available to employees. The thinking is is basically regular employees might not really know how to invest wisely for retirement. So employers have the responsibility to choose funds that you know, you can't really mess up too badly by investing in them as an employee. That's this concept of fiduciary uh, responsibility that employers have. 
as well as the financial advisors who advise employees or employers on what options to give their employees. And there are a couple parts to that. The first is just that if employers are offering funds that have too high of fees, management fees that the funds offer, uh, they can be sued for having funds that have too high of fees. And there are these class action lawsuits where employees band together to sue their employers. And these actually happen all the time. There are law firms that specialize in this specific type of class action lawsuit. And so it's a very legitimate fear that employers have where they're worried about offering funds that have too high of fees because they might get sued. And that is a huge reason that sustainable funds are kept out of 401ks oftentimes because these more sustainable or ESG funds tend to be priced at a premium. They're more expensive. And so it just makes them scarier to the employer because they don't want to face lawsuits, understandably. Another issue is performance is, is something else they can get sued for. So if there's a fund that's not performing well, at least on average, compared to other similar types of funds uh, that's in a 401k, it's the employer's responsibility to remove that fund and replace it with a fund that is performing well. And they can also be sued if they aren't doing that, if they have chronically underperforming funds that they're offering to their employees. This is true more in the past, and it's becoming less and less of an issue now, but there's been an impression among the financial community that if you're putting any type of lens on a fund that is environmental or sustainable, you're taking a hit on performance, you'll have worse performance. And so that has kept a lot of the financial advisory community from recommending these types of funds to employers uh, for that reason. There's been a lot of data coming out recently showing that that's actually not the case. Oftentimes, environmentally focused funds perform better. I'd say that isn't as much of an issue as it used to be. But basically, the price a fund charges and the performance that it has are both really important to employers because of the way that the law is set up in this country. And then the other couple of issues are, one is that a lot of the environmentally focused funds that exist for public equities have been set up within the past 10 years or so. And they are structured as ETFs or exchange-traded funds rather than mutual funds because that's kind of the more modern way of structuring funds is as ETFs, not mutual funds. Mutual funds are a little bit antiquated at this point. But a lot of the 401k providers, the record keepers is what they're called, don't allow ETFs in their systems. They only allow mutual funds. And so that just boxes out a large number of the environmental options that exist just because of the plain simple fact that they're, they're ETFs, not mutual funds. And then the third issue is that the Department of Labor puts out guidelines periodically on how employers should be managing their 401ks. And that guidance has changed over time, depending on what presidential administration is in place. And actually, at the end of the Trump administration, in just November of 2020, Department of Labor put out some guidance, basically implying that employers could not take ESG considerations into account when choosing what funds to put in their 401k lineups. They could only take financial measures into account. And then just a couple months later, when the Biden administration came in in 2021, they'll be changing that guidance. And we're expecting a ruling actually in, in the next few months here in early 2022, overturning the Trump guidance and, and putting new guidance in place saying, actually, ESG is important to being able to assess risk of investments. And so it's it's actually 
kind of the opposite of what the Trump era guidance said, and that we, we have to take uh, environmental and in particular climate risk into account because climate risk is financial risk. And so it's important for employers to take that into account when choosing what funds to put in their lineups. So because of the changing nature of that guidance, there's been some wariness among employers of wanting to incorporate sustainability and environmentalism into choosing what funds to offer employees because they're just feeling uncertain about what the next administration will do, whether they'll be overturning what, what came in the past, et cetera. So it's, it's made people really unsure about how to approach the whole topic. So it's a lot of reasons that it's hard to put fossil-free funds and ESG funds in 401ks, but we're actually addressing each of those with what we're offering at Sphere. Uh, thank you, Alex, for the great explanation of all the different barriers. And now let's move on to the solution, which uh, Sphere is providing. And I know that you guys have uh, two products available, once an index and once a mutual fund. Before you explain, I also want to note there's an almost perfect timing with uh, the proposed uh, Department uh, of Labor rule and when Sphere launched. So I think you're on the right track. <laughs> Thanks. Yeah, I agree. And it, I, I didn't even plan it that way. It was really just, you know, timing of life and when it made sense to be able to hand over the reins of leadership at, at IR Labs and uh, and start my next company. And But I, I do think that there have been more and more people realizing that the system is broken and people should be able to invest with their values, even if they're only investing in their 401ks and aren't wealthier. And so there's been a growing movement of people looking for these types of solutions. And so I think it's no accident. It's been top of mind for me, but for a growing number of people as well. And it's gotten the attention of the Department of Labor. So yeah, thank you for bringing up our products. And you know, before I dive into them, I just want to mention that nothing that I'm saying here is investment advice, and I'm not a financial advisor. So the first thing that we launched at Sphere is the Sphere 500 Fossil Free Index. And this is a very simple product. It takes the top 500 companies in the U.S. by market cap. Uh, so, you know, similar to the S&P 500, which a lot of people invest in as part of a well-diversified portfolio. And we take that list and we remove the fossil fuel companies in the list. So it's a very simple approach. And the reason we take that approach is because we can keep costs low by following this very rules-based index approach rather than having an actively managed approach where we're having to make decisions all the time on what stocks to include versus exclude. So it's it's rules-based. There's no one actively managing this. We just take the top 500 companies in the US and we screen out the fossil fuel companies and we don't even come up with our own definition of fossil fuel companies. We use the definition of a nonprofit called As You Sow, which runs this fantastic resource called fossilfreefunds.org. So we take the list of fossil fuel companies that fossilfreefunds.org provides, and we exclude those companies from that top 500 list. And the result is our index, the Sphere 500 Fossil Free Index. And then we've partnered with a financial manager who has a ton of experience uh, managing products like these to launch a mutual fund that tracks this index. And uh, a key part of deciding to do this was figuring out how can we offer this mutual fund the lowest price possible so that rather than pricing it on par with other ESG products, which tend to be in the 50 to 150 basis points, or to translate basis points into percentages, it means it's a 0.5 to 1.5% annual fee that's charged on the assets in the fund. That's, I would say that's pretty standard in the ESG 
field, whereas a typical S&P 500 index fund would be under 10 basis points or under 0.1% annual fee. And it was very important to me that we would price on par with those types of S&P 500 type index funds rather than on par with ESG funds. And we were able to accomplish that through some great partnerships with companies like US Bank, uh, the custodian for this fund, and Reflection Asset Management, the financial advisor that is managing this mutual fund. So we're offering it at seven basis points or 0.07%, right in line with other S&P 500 tracking index funds. I also mentioned it's a mutual fund. So it's a mutual fund, not an ETF, which means that it qualifies for 401k platforms. Such a simple thing, but but somehow so rare right now in climate conscious fund offerings. And then another thing that's great about excluding fossil fuel companies as, as kind of the one thing that we do, the one screen that we have, is that fossil fuel companies if you look back over time, and, and there are studies that show this over the past 10 years or even over longer time periods, they have tended to underperform the market at large and brought down returns. So when we calculated our own 10-year back test of this index fund, uh, we were pleased to see that it reflected what we were seeing in those studies. And, and performance over the past 10 years for this index would have outperformed actually quite significantly the the S&P 500 at large. So excluding fossil fuel companies is actually good for retirement savings, which is important because we're not asking employees to give up anything, you know, and and I don't think employees should have to give up anything. They should be able to invest in a fund and not have to pay more and not have to have lower returns and just avoid investing in the biggest polluters on our planet. So having the low price and then having good performance are uh, very important in being acceptable in 401ks and also in in addressing the moving target that the Department of Labor uh, has given over time, depending on the presidential administration that's in place. You don't have to justify adding this fund to a 401k lineup based on the environmental lens that it has. You can justify adding it just based on returns and performance. And that has been allowed regardless of what presidential administration is in place. And so you don't, you don't have to worry about changing politics to know whether you could be faced with a lawsuit for adding this fund to your 401k. Those are the key things that we have done to make this fund acceptable to 401ks and really remove the barriers that were making it so hard for me to add a fossil-free option to the IR Labs 401k a few years ago. Uh, thank you for mentioning all the solutions regarding pricing, performance, mutual funds and not ETFs, and also the regulatory issues. Now, how can employees get involved and how can they encourage their higher-ups to pursue this type of 401k plans? That's a good question and an important one because it turns out employees are the most important factor when it comes to making this available. Uh, When I was looking into starting this company and talking to a lot of people in the 401k space, in every conversation I had with a 401k advisor, I would ask, how do you decide what funds to put in your company's lineups? And they would always walk me through their process of how they make their decisions But usually at the end, they would also say, or if a customer asks for a specific fund, nine times out of 10, we'll add it. So there really is this aspect of customer-driven change. And so I also had a lot of conversations with HR managers and benefit managers at companies. And I asked them, what makes you request a specific fund of your 401k advisor? Have you ever done that? And why did you do it? 
I pretty much always heard of examples of employers asking their 401k advisors for specific funds. And the reason they did every time was because employees were asking for specific funds. So ultimately, this is a field that is very much driven by employee demand. Employees ask for something and they go to HR and HR asks for it from the 401k manager. And then the 401k manager adds it based on that demand. So what listeners can do is two things. One is they can email their HR manager and say they would like a a fossil-free 401k fund option. And the second thing is they can rally their coworkers, talk about this to colleagues and get them to also email HR. Because the more emails that the benefits manager or HR manager gets asking for this, the higher it'll go on their priority list and the more quickly they'll, they'll create the change that you want to see. So to support employees who are requesting this, uh, you know, fossil free funds from employers, we also are creating what we're calling the atmosphere, which is a network of employees who are change makers within their own spheres of influence. And people can sign up for the atmosphere on our website and be kept in the loop. And we'll soon be launching a tool that provides a lot of resources to these change makers to help them create change within their organizations. You know, we'll we'll be providing things like answers to common questions or pushback that employees get from from their heads of HR when they ask for this and, and how to respond or email templates on what type of text should you put in an email to HR asking for this. We'll let employees track their progress as they're pushing for this. And we'll also give them some context on, you know, how does a company decide what funds to put in 401ks? What is the typical process? Uh, And how can an employee fit in to that to, to create change? And then another thing that will be available in this tool, we'll be showing employees the scale of their impact because individually, we can each make a decent amount of impact by removing fossil fuel investments from our own portfolios. But the scale of impact we can have when we get new options available with our employers is on a whole different level, especially if you work at a really big company. Though it's true even at smaller companies as they're growing, they, they become big companies. But the, the big ones like a Microsoft, for example, has $30 billion in assets under management in its 401k. So if you're a Microsoft employee that has some influence in getting a fossil-free option in the 401k, you could literally move billions of dollars out of the fossil fuel industry, sending a real message to the fossil fuel industry by doing that. So it's pretty spectacular the impact that a single employee can have within their own sphere of influence. And we'll be helping employees measure that impact in our atmosphere tool as well. Great. So uh, you mentioned uh, several important stakeholders like the employees, the government regulators. And now I I want to learn more about how the other stakeholders that helped you develop uh, these products at Sphere. So I know that there is Jason Britton at Reflection Asset Management that access the white label. I know that you got uh, VC funding from uh, uh, two prominent climate uh, VC funds, uh, Pale Blue Dot and Climate Capital. And uh, you also have the regular stuff like the distributor and fund administrator that's uh, typical of mutual funds. And as you previously mentioned, you also have, uh, as you saw, right? And I know that you're an advisor for them and they provide you all these uh, screening methods for the index and the mutual fund. So could you please delve into the partnerships and stakeholders that have been helpful in the development pathway for Sphere? Yeah, absolutely. 
so yeah, reflection asset management, uh, which I mentioned before, and it's run by Jason Britton, has been a fantastic partner. Jason has a deep background, you know, decades of experience in sustainable investing. Most recently, he managed the sustainable investing group at Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, before founding Reflection Asset Management. And he has been uh, really invaluable in, in helping me navigate this industry that I'm new to and really get to the bottom of figuring out how to create a product that solves a real problem here. And he's a, a true believer in creating impact and, and making this type of product available to everybody, not just wealthy individuals and institutions, so that everybody can invest with their values. So Reflection Asset Management has been a really wonderful partner. And we recently raised a $2 million seed funding round, and that was led by the venture capital firm Pale Blue Dot. They've been really wonderful partners. They only invest in climate-focused companies. They have been really helpful in, in making introductions and in advising as, as we've been launching our, our first products. Uh, and Climate Capital as well has been wonderful. That's an angel group that that invested as well in this most recent round. And, and we had a number of really wonderful uh, angel investors invest in this. And it, it's really, I think, a testament to the fact that so many people really want to be able to invest with their values. They they see what we're doing and, and, and believe in power of a social movement to be able to create change. And so we have angel investors who are employees at some big companies who have been pushing for fossil-free options at their company 401ks, as well as more traditional angel investors. Um, and they've all been a, a wonderful community to support us. And then, as you mentioned, yeah, we have the more kind of nuts and bolts uh, partners. So U.S. Bank, as I mentioned, is the custodian. So they're, they're actually managing the money in the mutual fund. Vigilant is our distributor. So they're, they're helping us get listed on various platforms so that people can invest in the mutual fund. And then As You So has been really helpful in, 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 you know, not just to us, but, you know, to most people who I speak with who are interested in avoiding fossil fuel investments or interested in having a climate lens to how they invest have been leaning on as you so as as a source of information they just do a wonderful job of creating transparency in what is included in the investments that we all make until until they made their resources available it was really hard to understand how much of my investments are invested in fossil fuel companies and they have really just shown a light on that data with their website, fossilfreefunds.org, as well as this newer website they've launched called investyourvalues.org, which specifically dives into 401ks so people can understand what they're invested in in their 401ks. So, so they've just been a wonderful help and resource uh, by making all of that information publicly available. And, and they do wonderful work as well uh, with shareholder advocacy. So they're really a great organization. The one other organization I should mention is not so much in the finance field, but our chief uh, creative officer, Doug Burnett, he has an organization called Buena that is just really wonderful at building social movements and creating social change through through their creative work. And so that's been a really wonderful partnership. And that's someone who is really helping us to, to get the word out there so that more people can learn and realize that, hey, you know, I care about climate change, but whoa, I'm actually investing in fossil fuel companies. I didn't even think about that before. Let me do something about that. So Buena is, is I think, going to be very instrumental in getting the word out, getting people aware that they have the power to create change within their own spheres of influence. Thank you very much, Alex, for this great interview. Uh, we're reaching the end and I have uh, two closing questions. We have many listeners from uh, California and Silicon Valley, especially those uh, who work in tech. And many of them want to also be involved in uh, 
finance or want to transition to finance. And since you've been like a serial entrepreneur between both spaces, uh, what advice would you have to them? So for entrepreneurs in either tech or in finance, I think the most important thing for anybody who wants to go into entrepreneurship to realize is that you're going to hear no a lot. There are going to be a lot of people who don't believe in your vision, don't understand why you're doing what you want to do. And that's entirely normal. And you're also going to find the believers. You're going to find people who are so excited about what you're doing. So don't let the no's that you hear make you forget about all of the people who are excited about what you're doing, who are struggling with the exact same problem that that you're building a solution for. And make sure that you have a, a host of people who get the problem, who've lived the problem, and who are looking for a solution to that problem, who you could reach out to for guidance and and to really to be your kind of customer persona who, who you can get on the phone at any time to gut check with them. Hey, is this thing that we're building the right thing? Are we building it the right way? Is this useful to you? And then when you have the doubters coming and saying, oh, this doesn't work, it's no good, or you know, investors who pass and don't want to invest, don't worry about them. Uh, you can't expect everyone to like what you're making. And the most successful entrepreneurs have heard no a million times and just kept going. So the most important thing is to keep going. And then, you know, when it comes to transitioning from tech to finance, I would say at its core, business is business. It has a lot of similar qualities, no matter uh, what industry you're doing it in. In the end, people like win-win situations. And that's what business ultimately does. It, It creates these situations where everyone can win. You know, people are making money, people are feeling good about what they're doing. And, and that's true whether you're creating a technology or a financial product. If, if you can create those win-win situations, which is what business is good at, then, then you'll find traction. And the key is to not be shy about asking questions. You know, I, I'm very honest when I talk to people in the financial industry about the fact that this is not where my background is. And you know, I say, hey, you know, when I don't know an acronym that they're using or a certain vocabulary term they're using, I'll, I'll be open about it and interrupt and say, hey, I'm so sorry I'm new to this field, but can you please explain what that word means to me? And, and people understand, and I, I don't think that they they judge badly for that. And then having partners, you know, having Jason at Reflection Asset Management has been super helpful in in navigating this industry because he has so much experience in it. So so finding partners who do have experience where you don't can also be really helpful. Uh, Thank you. And I will not be shy to ask the last question uh, (laughs) regarding uh, advice to young employees who want to make a difference within the corporate structure. I I think a lot of what Sphere is about is encouraging employees to take action, uh, especially climate action. And we now hear more and more CEOs talking about uh, how it will be difficult to attract young employees if they don't commit themselves uh, to climate. But also we see now more and more employees that are creating, uh, for example, sustainability divisions within their own corporations. So uh, what advice do you have to young employees to keep going on? Yeah, it makes a real difference in being able to attract and retain talent. It's being able to have a very legitimate plan in place for for climate change. Employees want to see that. And if you're an employee whose employer is not necessarily doing what you'd like to see, my advice would be to, to speak up and find colleagues who feel the same way you do. And climate change is a topic that oftentimes people are worried about, but they don't bring it up. They don't talk about it because they're not sure whether the people around them feel the same way. But I can tell you that the data now shows that the vast majority of people do feel the same way. So you shouldn't feel shy about bringing up climate change with colleagues. 
the chances are very strong that they agree and they're worried too. And it's a or it's a topic where a lot of people feel helpless and they're not really sure how to make a difference. And this is a way to really make an enormous difference. If if you can get your employer to offer a fossil free option in the 401k, you can be moving millions of dollars, even billions of dollars out of fossil fuel companies, sending a real message to those fossil fuel companies that they need to change how they're behaving. They need to, to join us at the table and, and help us figure out how to create a livable planet for ourselves. And by moving millions or billions of dollars within your company, you can you can really send that message in a powerful way. So the way to do that is, is to speak up and have conversations with your colleagues and then work together to, to send a message to leadership of what changes you want to see. Thank you, Alex, for your words of wisdom. And uh, thank you for this great interview. I wish uh, you and your colleagues at Sphere all the best. Thank you so much. It's been such a pleasure. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Climate Finance Podcast. For future episodes, please join our mailing list on www climatefinance.xyz. I repeat, www.climatefinance.xyz. See you at the next episode.